600 of us come here every week and we should be able to give a reasoned account of why we turn up on a Sunday. We should be able to give a reasonable account of why we connect with the church in other, at other times through connect groups, through, through our, our Christ-centered social program. We should be able to give an answer. I think it's a great question. And, and one that actually reveals, I think, at least on one hand anyway, a very high view of Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that Jesus alone is the way that we can connect with God. Jesus alone is the, is the one who, who cleanses us of our sins. Jesus is the one who sort of uh, gives us access to the throne and, 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 and fits us for heaven. But you know, the flip side of someone who just says, you know, um, Jesus is all I need. I don't need to go to church. The flip side of that is this. I think they really do undervalue biblically the importance of church in the plans and purposes of God. They see it simply as an optional extra, an add-on, an appendage to their walk. When, when I read the scriptures, uh, I see it quite the reverse. I see church as being absolutely central, core, if you like, to the plans and purposes of God. And this morning, I want to share with you some of my convictions about church. Now, I have some opinions about church, um, but they're different from convictions. You know, convictions are deeply held truths, aren't they? That they're those things that kind of inform our lives. There's those things that we sometimes call values. Now, I'm happy to argue about my opinions about church. I have some opinions about how connect groups work, should work, how, how, how welcome should work, you know, uh, how, how we should do worship, how we should do communion. And on, when you go to opinions, I, I'm quite happy to kind of change my mind fairly easily on those, but not when it comes to my convictions. These are things that inform my life. These are, these are things that I hold dear to myself. So when I'm sharing my convictions this morning, these are personal convictions about church. And these convictions has informed my life about the way I do church. They shape the way I engage with church. They shape the way I connect the church. They shape the way I serve church. Now, I suspect many people here this morning will have strong convictions about church. And I want to say at the very beginning of this sort of talk that in no way do I stand up here with the view to making you feel guilty or, or offending you. But what I do want to do is this. I want to honestly share my convictions that church is one of the most valuable things that we can actually get involved in. It's one of the things that Jesus uh, sees as core to his plans and purposes. And as I share my convictions, my desire is that somehow or other, something of, of the Spirit of God will resonate you about the value of church to such a point that it will increase your passion to become involved in the church, or for, perhaps for some people, will increase the passion to actually get involved in church afresh. So, my title, Why Bother With Church? Well, I want to tell you why I bother with church. And this is my first conviction, really. I bother with church because church, for me, is the most precious possession on planet Earth. The most precious possession on planet Earth. I'm sure most people in this room have actually sort of uh, seen the Antiques Roadshow. You've seen that, haven't you? Well, a couple of months ago, I was on, 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 uh, on, on the web. I wasn't looking at YouTubes or anything like that. Um, I, I was looking at something really educational, like Antiques Roadshow. And I clicked, I clicked on one, and uh, it was about a woman who had been left a brooch uh, by her grandmother. And uh, the brooch itself was quite an ugly-looking brooch, to be honest, and it wasn't particularly sort of, you know, 
top-notch in terms of uh, its condition. And uh, anyway, for her, it carried sentimental value. And so she used to put it on a cracked saucer on a mantelpiece. But one day, uh, a friend of hers came and said, look, the Antiques Roadshow's in town. Uh, I've got quite a lot of stuff that I want to take to the Antique Roadshow. She was a lot wealthier than this other person. And, uh, you know, but I need you to come with me. Would you come with me? So she said, yeah, I'll come with you. And she thought, well, if I'm going to go to the Antiques Roadshow, I've got to take something. What a waste of a journey. So she just grabs hold of this brooch, shoves it in a handbag, and off she goes to the Antique Roadshow. So when her, turn uh, her, her turn comes, she's, she sits in front of the, the expert, and the expert sort of looks at this sort of brooch, which is a bit battered, a um, bit worse for wear, and uh, he starts talking about it, says, well, it's not in the best condition, is it? And then he starts talking about the history of it and who made it, when it was made, and all that kind of stuff. And you could see her glazing over, because really, all she was interested in was the value. That's the bottom line, isn't it? And then it came to the point where he said, well, you know, it is a saleable item. Um, and in fact, he said, I, I saw something similar uh, in, in an auction in, in New York just two weeks ago. And um, it fetched about 30,000 pounds. She was totally flabbergasted. She didn't know what to say. She just couldn't believe it. She was in tears as, as, as he was telling her this. I can guarantee you that when that person left the Antiques Roadshow, she no longer kept this brooch on a cracked saucer on the top of her mantelpiece. I am sure she put it in a safe. I am sure she went to the insurance company and insured it. I am sure that anybody that, sort of, uh, that came into her house and talked about that day uh, that she went to the Antiques Roadshow, she was willingly and enthusiastically sort of engaged in that conversation with them. What, would, what happened there? I'll tell you what happened there suddenly that person realized the value of that brooch. And it changed her attitude, and it changed her perception, and then it changed her behavior. The brooch itself had an intrinsic value in and of its own. That value wasn't determined whether or not she kept it on a mantelpiece or whether she sort of kept it in a safe. There was an inherent value in that brooch. Do you know, I believe that so often people treat church very much like that woman initially treat, treated her brooch. People don't see the value of church. They take church for granted. They forget about it. They don't talk about it. It's in the background there. We have some sentimental attachment to it. And so every now and then we'll, we'll kind of sort of make a way to church. But, you know, it's never core to our, our, our lives. It's not something that we sort of, you know, see as fundamental. It's not a great conviction. And we can take it or leave it. This morning I want to paint a picture for you about the true value of church. Because I believe that church is the most precious thing on planet Earth. I believe that church is the most precious thing on planet Earth. It, in fact, has an inherent value, irrespective of how we treat it. And, you know, when we have our minds switched around and we see the value of church, that should impact our behavior and attitude towards it. Now, why do I think that church is the most precious thing on planet Earth? Well, in Acts 20, where Paul is talking to the elders of the Ephesian churches there, he says this. He simply says, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Later on in, in Ephesians, Paul writes again. He says, You know, uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved his church and gave himself up for her. Now, I, I know that Jesus died for me. And it's right that he died for me. You know, that's a right understanding of the Bible. 
But in this situation here, that's not what it says. It says that Jesus gave himself sacrificially, poured out his blood for the church. I want to say Jesus loves the church. In 1 John uh, 3:16, a uh, uh, question is asked. It says, "How do we know what love is?" And the scripture responds like this: Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's how we understand love. That's how we can sort of get a grip of the value of Jesus' love. Now, in your notes, that little sort of phrase there, um, lay down his life for us. Just circle the word us in that little phrase at the tail end of that. And I want to ask you a question. Who's the us? It's the church, isn't it? It's those people that Christ has said are now gathered together as a community of believers. It's the church. You know, when Christians say to me things like, you know, uh, you know Andrew, uh, I want to imitate Jesus. I want to become more and more like him day by day. But then says equally to me, but, you know, I'm not passionate about church. I can take church or leave church. Then that worries me because of two things. First of all, it's totally illogical. And secondly, it's totally unbiblical. If we really do want to become like Christ in nature, in our character, in the kind of affections and attitudes of our lives then by definition, we have to become passionate about his church because that's part of his nature, it's part of his character, it's part of his life. To actually sort of say, I want to be like Jesus but not be passionate about the church actually means that when we are representing Jesus, we're not representing him fully because he loved the church. The church was core to Jesus Christ. It must become, therefore, core to us. It must be something that absolutely is, is central to the way that we, we sort of organize our lives. It's something central to the way we see the world and something uh, central to the way that we do life. Jesus took a high view of church. And if we're going to imitate him, then we too must take a similar view of church as, as he did. Let me give you another conviction which, for me, helps me sort of uh, answer the question, why bother with church? I believe... Church is the most complete representation of Christ we have on planet Earth. That's a big thing, isn't it, to say? But have you ever considered how we can best present Jesus to the world? Have you ever considered how we can present him in the fullest way possible to those who do not know him? Have you ever thought of how can we present Christ in such an attractive way that those people who are far off uh, can actually sort of uh, connect with him and, uh, and, and actually sort of want to be part of his glorious plan? Have you ever considered that? How about considering this scripture? Because I think this scripture will help us understand uh, uh, this issue. Ephesians 3.10. His intent was now, through the church... The manifold wisdom of God shall be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known. Now that word manifold just means varied. It means kind of marked with a variety of colors. It was often used to describe a, a greatly ornate, uh, a, a really richly painted painting or, or, or a cloth that was really richly dyed. The word wisdom of God there actually sort of has to do with God's dealings with mankind and his creation. So let me paraphrase Ephesians 3.10. This is an Andrew Harris, not 
an NIV or any other kind of translation. This is an APH translation. This is, what it, this is what I think it says. The church should declare, make known, certify the richness and varied colors of God's wisdom in his relationship with his people. That's, that's how I see it. That's how I see it. Now, sometimes we can hear things, but we can't fully grasp it. Sometimes things are better caught than taught. Sometimes if you see something, you can grasp what I'm saying. So I've just asked a couple of folk this morning to come forward. Uh, if they're still in the room, Dylan was one of them. Um, are you here, Dylan? Yeah, great. And uh, Angela, where's Angela? Back there in that little closet. You can come out now, Angela. You're all right. Um, okay, I've asked Elspeth, where's Elspeth? Come up here. Now these guys, uh, are great people. Every one of these guys love Jesus Christ. Okay? Angela, she's an amazing woman. She bounces around this place. You know, she's a great servant. She loves worshiping Jesus Christ. She's, she's a lovely worshiper, and she has a heart to know more and more about Christ. And so, sort of, she's joined the in internship that we have in the church, and she's doing great at it. Dylan, he's my right-hand man, Dylan is. He's the guy that will come here every Sunday morning and stays very late in the afternoon. He, he sets up, he packs down. His servant heart is fantastic. Young people, if you want a, a, a sort of model to sort of uh, imitate when it comes to serving, this is the man that you should look to. Elizabeth is part of the, the ops team. She's always elegant looking, isn't she? Do you know what I mean? And, uh, but she's creatively gifted. You know, a lot of the stuff that we do around the church, all the kind of creative bits, it's down to Elspeth. But she's also got a sharp, prophetic cutting edge as well about her life. And when she sort of shares stuff, there's an element of the prophecy there. Now, let me say this. Each one of these people, in and of themselves, do emanate something of the manifold wisdom of God. Does emanate something of God's love uh, and the way he deals with the people of, uh, on planet Earth, doesn't it? Each individual, one of them, does that. But you know, when you bring them together, when you bring them together like this, I don't know, it's a, it's a fuller picture, isn't it? It's a much fuller, much more varied picture. It's, it's a picture that, that when people come in, they can see and think, do you know what? God is a God that accepts all. Irrespective of, of, of color, irrespective of backgrounds, irrespective of, of intellectual sort of achievement. They come in and they say, do you know what? He's not only a God that accepts all, he's a God that equips all. He, he equips people in worship, he equips people in service, he, he equips people in, in their creativity. And when they come in, they say, do you know what, not only does he do all those things, but he knits these people together. And that's a marvelous thing, isn't it? Do you know what, these three people would probably never naturally be knitted together in the world, but God, in his infinite wisdom, has knitted them together. So when people come in, they think, do you know what, this might be a place for me. Because God might accept me. If you can accept these three, you can accept... Don't mean that in a negative way. <laughs> you know? If you accept these three, you can accept me. So when they come in, they look around and say, 600 people. If God can accept them, he can accept me. If God can equip them, he can equip me. Yeah. You know, if God can knit them together, I haven't got to live a life of loneliness on the, on, on the outside. I can come on the inside. I can be part of a community of God. I believe the church... It's the best vehicle on planet Earth to demonstrate 
God's manifold wisdom to the world. That's how important church is. It's not an optional extra. It's something that is central to the way that we as Christians should do God's business on planet Earth. Let's give these guys a round of applause. I believe it's through the visible body of, of Christ, which is the church. I believe it's through the visible body that the invisible head of the church is more clearly seen and understood. Individually, we're too small, really, to, manif to manifest the, the kind of uh, the manifold wisdom of God. But you know what? Together, I believe that we can more clearly demonstrate the true beauty and the true wonder of our Savior to those who are lost and those who are dying. Let me give you another conviction, another conviction about why I believe that we should bother with church. I believe that we should bother with church because church is the nearest approximation to heaven on earth. Now that's a whacking great big statement, isn't it? The church is the nearest approximation to heaven on earth. But have you considered just for a moment what you've been doing in heaven? Now in heaven, I'm sure we're going to do more than this, but in heaven, the Bible says that we're going to be worshipping in heaven. The Bible says that we're going to be serving in heaven. The Bible says that we're going to enjoy the presence of God in heaven. But together, in community, that's what we're going to do. Now for me, that looks very similar to church. That seems very similar to what we experienced this morning. We gathered together in worship. There have been people serving God. And we've enjoyed His presence, haven't we? I, I want to tell you, church community is the nearest thing that you and I will ever get to experience in heaven on earth. We need to value church. We need to raise the value of church in our lives because this, this is reality. And when people come in and experience this, I want to tell you, their lives will be transformed. Now, I know there are people here, I'm sure, that have been messed up at, at times by church. Perhaps you've, re you know, you've had harsh dealings with leaders who have been a bit authoritarian rather than equipping, rather than valuing you. Perhaps you've had people who have let you down, people who have said unkind things, people who you thought were going to love you but backed away when, when you needed that love. You know, that happens in church because church is made up of messed up people. And I'm one of those, and you're one of those. And so sometimes we mess other people up. You know, we're a people on a journey, aren't we? We're going to be changed from one degree of glory to another. Ultimately, when we see Jesus face to face, the Bible tells me we'll be transformed. And when we're in heaven, we'll have a fantastic sense of community. There'll be no sin, no sickness, no sorrow, no striving, no Satan. It'll be a fantastic community. But in the meantime, through God's grace and in His love, we should be working together with those people that God has orchestrated to, for us to have relationships with in such a delightful and awesome way that people would realize that this is the best place on earth because it actually is a, a replica of the community that we will eventually inherit in heaven. That's what church is about. That's what church is about. See... To make that kind of community really work, to make that kind of community a reality, then it demands certain things, doesn't it? 
You know, those things don't just happen. I always believe that community is not encountered, it's engineered. Community is in, it has to do something intentional to make that kind of community that I'm just talking about work. Now, I could have listed a load of things about sort of what we need to make that kind of community work. And I tell you what, we'll find everything that we need in Christ Jesus. But the key thing, I think, that make that kind of community work is love. The problem with love is that's a dangerous thing. Because sometimes when you love someone and they don't love you back, you can feel hurt, you can feel disappointed. And I've had people love me and perhaps I haven't loved them back the way I should have. And I've loved people, and they've perhaps not responded to me in the way they, where they should have, and sometimes that has hurt. C.S. Lewis says this about love. He says, love is dangerous. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to keep it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries, avoiding all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. Friends, if you're looking for a safe place for love, outside of heaven, the only safe place is hell. When we actually love people, we place ourselves in a very vulnerable position. And yet the world, I believe, is crying out for a church that truly loves people. That truly loves people. I believe that church community is meant to be an outpost of the heavenly community that we'll inherit on earth. That's what I believe. I believe that when I was born again, I was adopted into his family. That's why uh, I believe that sort of, when, when people talk about that, that, you know, the our father prayer, it's our father, not my father. I'm part of a family. When I was born again, I'm afraid you got me as a brother. And unfortunately, I got you as brothers and sisters. We have blood relationships, you know. And that, that relationship with brother and sister is real. It's based on the blood of Jesus Christ. It's just as real as my own family. And you know, when we kind of grasp something of this sort of uh, family of God, this community of God, this called out community of people, then I, then I want to tell you, you know, it actually sort of transforms the way we think. See, when I gain Christ, I also gain his family. And when God wants to minister to me, when he wants to minister perhaps some peace or some advice or, or some comfort or some care or some value, do you know what? Invariably, he does it through the family, through the gathered community, through the church. And when we begin to understand, if you like, that our identity, that really sort of a humanity is rooted not just in our individual salvation, but in the, in the gathered community of being part of a called out people of God, then it changes the way that we see church, doesn't it? Not only is church big and valuable in the eyes of God, it's now big enough and bigger than, uh, bigger, sorry, bigger than we are. And therefore, you know, when it comes to church, it's so big that we can step back because it's all family. We can step back and not push our personal preferences. Why? Because it's family. 
Do you know, when my family is in trouble, I'm there. I'm not looking to push my personal preferences. I want to bless my family. And that's what we should be like in church. Church is bigger than we are. In fact, church is, is, is a place where you can safely invest your time, treasure, and your talents. Because as you serve others, the scripture says the body of Christ grows. And as the body of Christ grows, you and I will grow. Because we are part of it. Do you know, if you look at your own family, as you pour your life into your children, your children begin to pour their life back into you, don't you? As the family gets healthier, you get healthier. It's the same principle in the church. It's much better to give than receive. In God's economy, when we give, when we give, we grow. And as we grow, the church grows because we continually give in and continually receive it. That, that's how the church grows. That's how the church grows. We're designed to live in connection, not as isolated individuals. And people are longing for this kind of community. People are really longing for this kind of community. There are lonely people out there who are living in relational poverty. They have no one to care for them, no one that will sit with them, no one that will love them unconditionally, no one that will stand by them even if they, uh, when they falter uh, and feel undervalued. And that's what they're looking for. And you know, the family of God, that's what we should be offering, isn't it? That's what we should be offering. You know, we're not supposed to do life on our own. We're not, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine doing life on my own. Can you imagine just for a moment if you didn't have your, your natural family around you? If you had no friends, no acquaintances, and trying to do life on your own. I don't know about yourself, but that would be a a horrendous thing, wouldn't it? But you know, as Christians, so often that's what we end up doing. If we don't connect into the body of Christ, then that's what we're doing. But we're not supposed to live our life on our own. Many of you here will probably know about the redwood trees in the, in the forests of um, California. They're the biggest trees on the planet. They're massive trees. Their trunks are so big that I saw a picture of one of them that it was carved out and they, and they drove a car through it. It was a massive, they're massive trees. And normally, when you have a massive tree, what happens, you need a massive root to go down, don't you? Because otherwise, the trees will just fall over. Otherwise, you need the massive root to go deep down because they need to get the nutrients to grow the tree. And the bigger the tree, the deeper the roots. But you know, when it comes to the redwoods, which are the biggest trees, on planet Earth, that doesn't happen. Their roots are shallow. Their roots don't go down, they go out. They go out. And the reason that they can grow large and the reason that they have such massive trunks and the reason that they, they can have such a great canopy is simply this, that as, the, as their roots go out, it connects with the other roots of the other trees. And it feeds off the others. And it gains support from the others. And because of that, they're able to grow bigger and bigger and bigger and become the biggest trees on planet Earth. I believe that's a great picture of the church. I really do. I believe if you dissect the early church or any healthy church, then you'll find the reason that that church grows, that reason that that church can support so many ministries, which is way uh, uh, beyond uh, the, the, the natural means, is simply because of this. In that group of people, they have learned the, the, the need to get their roots bound and intertwined together. 
they have discovered the power of, of synergy. They've, dis they, 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 they've managed to understand that they need each other. They understand the value of togetherness. They understand the, the, the necessity of being connected. Do you know, that's what community is about, isn't it? I believe that people reach their peak in community. I reached my peak in community. You know, my, my impact is magnified when I'm in community. My influence is greater when I'm part of that community. My reach is further when I'm part of the church community. When I look around at C3 and see what C3 is doing, I could never do that by myself. And neither could you. We need each other. We need to be connected. We need to be sort of intertwined. We need to sort of support each other. We need to draw from each other that strength that we need in order to become everything that God has called us to be in community. And when we do that, I want to tell you, we can grow something big and something glorious and something that is worthy of the name Jesus Christ. I believe relationships are transformational. You know, I believe that sort of in community, as we sort of rub shoulders together, new opportunities, uh, new thinking, new possibilities are open up, and each and every one of us grows because of it. I believe that's an amazing picture of the Church of Christ. A Christian without a church family is an orphan. And I don't believe God wants any one of us to be orphans. And today, if you're not connected into a church, and I'm not talking about being necessarily connected into this one, although I recommend it, but if you're not connected into a church, get connected. If you want to grow strong, get connected. If you want an impact, making your life a, 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 an impactful one, then get connected. If you want to extend your re reach, then get connected. Get connected to a local body. Because the local body, or, or, or the local body, the church itself, is the greatest and the closest approximation uh, that we have on earth to heaven. Let me wind up by saying, finally, um, another conviction that I have that for me uh, is a reason why I bother with church is this. I believe that the church is condemned to victory. I don't know about you, sir. perhaps this is a, a selfish bit on me, really, but I want to be on the winning side, don't you? You know, why go through life as a loser? You know, why go through life as a winner? I want to be on the winning side. And not only do I want to be on the winning side, I want my life to really count, and I want my life to count to the max. I really do. Jesus said this, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's a phenomenal scripture. It's one of the ones that feed my spirit. You know, if, if I'm thinking about church, I often go to that scripture and I meditate on it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's a prophetic statement. Jesus said, I will build my church. You know, kingdoms have come, kingdoms have gone. Politicians come and they go. Empires have been built and they've crumbled. But I want to tell you the church the church of Jesus Christ will go on forever. It will go on forever. And Jesus is building it. He's building it. And he's going to build a strong church. Do you think Jesus was the head of the church? Do you think Jesus is going to come back? Do you think he's going to come back to a weak church? Do you think the head is going to be connected to a weak spindly body? Or, or the bridegroom is going to come back for, for, for an emaciated bride? No, he's going to come back for a glorious bride and for a, and a strong body.
I want to be on the winning side. Jesus said he would build his church. But it's not just a kind of a prophetic statement. It's also a personal statement. He said, I will build my church. That's fantastic, you know. It is about him doing his work through us. It's his church. And he said, he will build it. In Matthew 18, 20, it says this, where two or more are gathered together in my name, I will be there in the midst of them. Where two or more are gathered in my name, I will be there in the midst of them. I love the worship this morning. Why? Because we highlighted the name of Jesus. We lifted the name of Jesus. And here in Matthew 18 is a promise of a special visitation of the Lord's presence whenever two or more are gathered together. He said he would be there in the midst. In the midst. So by implication, every time we meet together, Every time we lift up the name of Jesus, whether it's in song, whether it's in worship, whether it's in praise, whether it's in preaching, whether it's in serving, whether it's in our conversation, every time we lift up the name of Jesus, he honors that and he comes in the midst to do something in the midst of us that perhaps he's not prepared to do when we meet him alone at home. That's why sometimes when I've missed church, and it's been very rare that I've missed church, and someone says, oh, you've missed something. God was there. I think, <clears throat> I should have been there. I could have, done, I could have done with that. Do you not believe the church is totally unstoppable? I think it was David Sherman who wrote a book called The Unstoppable Church. The Word of God says that, I will build my church and the gates of hell itself will not prevail against it. Now, there's lots of stuff that I could say about that. But from the Jewish point of view, gates of hell, gates of Hades was associated with death. And basically, sort of, what, 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 was being, what is being said there is this. Listen, I will build my church, and even death itself won't stop it. Even death itself won't stop it. You see, death is Satan's ultimate weapon. See, 2,000 years ago, or thereabouts, he, wanted, he used that weapon against the Lord Jesus Christ. And he thought, if he could somehow or other kill the builder of the church, then the church would not be built. But he failed, didn't he? He failed. And he failed because the builder came out of the grave. The architect, the author and the perfecter of the church and our faith, rose again. I want to tell you, death itself could not hold Christ Jesus. In fact, when he went down there, he took the keys of death and Hades. And when he rose, he gave keys to the church. Keys of the kingdom were delivered into the hands of the church. Keys that allow us to bind stuff on earth that will sort of in any way be, have a detrimental effect on the church growth and what, and, what, and what God wants to do on earth. And also he gave us keys to loose things, to free things like his love, his power, and his plans and his purposes, you know, in our gathered community called the church so that his will can begun, be done and his kingdom could come. That's what it means to be on the winning side. That's why the church is condemned to victory. I wonder if the band could please make your way up. Just imagine now for a moment, as I close, that you fall in love with someone, that you want to marry them, and eventually you do marry them and you say that you're going to care for them. You get married, you leave the church, but you never go and live with them. It's unthinkable, isn't it? It's crazy, isn't it? You know, in the Bible, 
the church is often referred to as the bride and Christ is the bridegroom. And I believe that Christ is actually saying to his bride, the church, come on, move in with me. Because I want to do something in you and through you. I want you to be some kind of mirror, if you like, that shows the manifold wisdom of God. I want to do something so great within you that you can step back out from church into your communities, into your marketplaces, into, into your families and actually show the, the, the transforming uh, power and love of Christ in a way that you could never do if you tried to do it on an individual basis. He says, I have come so that you can live with me in eternity but now as part of my family I want you to come and enjoy my presence together. Do you know, we can have that presence together, whether we're in our connect groups, whether we're serving uh, on a Thursday year in a hub, uh, in our Friday, uh, on our Friday hubs. Uh, we, can, we can have his presence with us as we step into his community. I don't know about yourself, but for me, all this raises the value of the church. Church is not optional, friends. Church is, is core. It's core to Christ, and it should be core to us. And when we realize it's the most valuable possession on planet Earth, when we, when we realize it's the, it's, the, it's the best way to present Christ to the lost, when we realize it's the nearest that we'll ever get to what heaven looks like, and when we realize that, listen, the church is destined to victory because Jesus Christ himself actually promised to build it and build it personally, then surely this is a place for you and I to sing everything that God has given us into for his glory's sake. Amen. Thank you, man.